Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Thursday, December 3rd, and this is your FT News Briefing. Top U.S. lawmakers are inching closer to a stimulus package. The U.K. becomes the first country to greenlight a coronavirus vaccine, and China keeps investing in American tech companies despite tensions with the White House. Plus, Nigeria is now in its second recession in five years, and investment from outside the country is shrinking. Can homegrown investors pick up the slack? We'll take a look. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. A bipartisan group of U.S. senators proposed a $908 billion stimulus package on Tuesday. And yesterday, it started to gain momentum. Top Democrats said they were behind the plan. It's much lower than the $3 trillion package the Democratic-controlled House of Representatives offered in the spring and the $2 trillion package the House submitted earlier in autumn. But still, Democratic Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi and Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer gave the $908 billion package their blessing. President-elect Joe Biden also supported the deal, but said that any package in Donald Trump's lame duck session would only be a down payment. Biden says his team is working on proposals that he'll submit to Congress once he's inaugurated next month. Separately, Republican Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell had privately circulated a new stimulus plan this week to the tune of about $300 billion, but because of its small size, the plan isn't expected to get off the ground. The UK yesterday became the first country to approve a COVID-19 vaccine. It means the shot, developed by Pfizer and BioNTech, could be out as soon as next week. A reminder that in phase three trials, this vaccine proved to be 95% effective in preventing the virus. So what does the UK's green lighting of the drug mean for its approval in other countries? Here to help answer that question is the FT's US pharmaceutical and biotech correspondent, Hannah Kushler. Hannah, What did other countries, including the U.S., make of the U.K. approving this vaccine? So I think that everyone is going to come thick and fast on the back of this decision. We do expect an approval in the U.S. within the next couple of weeks and in the EU within a month or so. Um, So it's not actually in the scheme of things going to be a dramatically different timeline. The responses, however, were a little bit different, and I thought it was quite interesting. So... Monsif Saloui, who leads Operation Warp Speed, which is the program to accelerate vaccine development in the US, sort of used it as a reason that Americans should feel reassured that they could trust this vaccine, which of course is going to be the next big issue is going to be convincing people to take it. He praised the UK regulator. He said it was of the highest calibre. What I thought was quite interesting is he also said um, that they have not been involved in any of the politicisation that surrounds the development of the vaccine. Um, And I think that that is interesting because obviously in the US, especially before the election, there were lots of concerns that the FDA would be under political pressure to approve something too soon. And he's kind of nodding and saying, don't worry about it. Look, the UK has not got an election happening in November uh, and they've approved it first. Um, The EU was slightly different. I mean, I don't think anyone was really against the approval, but some European officials did sort of criticise the language with which the UK approved it. There was this sense that, you know, the UK government wanted to be first to show that, you know, they could be independent from Europe and um, sort of 
inspired by Brexit, even though actually the rule they used, they could have used anyway without Brexit. And so the European officials said, you know, why is it so difficult to recognise that this is a huge international effort and success? Um, actually, these are companies from all over the world. And in fact, obviously, BioNTech is a German company um, and Pfizer, their partner, is a US company. Hannah Kushler is the FT's U.S. pharmaceutical and biotech correspondent. Thanks, Hannah. Thank you. The trade war between Washington and Beijing has made it tough for China to invest in U.S. tech companies. The White House sees China as a threat when it comes to stealing American technologies and intellectual property, and there are rules in place that target minority investments considered a security risk. But Chinese state-backed funds are still pursuing investments in U.S. tech. China's National Integrated Circuit Industry Investment Fund is one of these groups. To give you a sense of how much it's tied to the government, CICF's biggest shareholder is the Chinese Ministry of Finance. And investors linked to CICF are investing in America's semiconductor industry. Companies including Pixelworks, Black Sesame Technologies, and Light IC Technologies have attracted attention from China over the past few months. None of them responded to the FT's request for comment. Chinese venture investments in the U.S. have plunged since 2018. That's when Washington beefed up its investment screening agency called the Committee on Foreign Investment in the U.S., or CFIUS. The new rules gave CFIUS authority to screen any deal involving critical technologies such as biotech and semiconductors. To give you an idea of the impact, Chinese investments were about $5 billion in 2018. It was nearly half of that in 2019, according to research house Rhodium Group, and it's even less in the first half of 2020. Nigeria has sunk into its second recession in less than five years. The main culprit? The crash in oil prices caused by the coronavirus pandemic. That's because oil receipts make up nearly 90% of Nigeria's foreign exchange reserves and roughly half of government revenues. To make matters worse, foreign investors have been deserting Africa's biggest economy. But despite this, there has been a wave of interest from homegrown investors. Neil Munshi, the FT's West Africa correspondent, spoke to some of them. He's on the line with me now. Neil, you've reported that foreign investment in Nigeria has fallen this year and inflows from portfolio investors have plummeted. Which sectors have been hardest hit by this fall in foreign investment? Well, it was starting from a pretty low base. Nigeria's foreign, you know, FDI has been falling in recent years to the point where it's sometimes lower than Ghana, which is an economy that's a fraction of the size of the population, that's a fraction of the size of Nigeria. So it was starting from a pretty low base, but it's the oil sector has really been hit quite hard. And as you mentioned, portfolio investment, which was quite a big deal for Nigeria's foreign reserves, has also been hit. Neil, you spoke to a number of local Nigerian investors who are putting billions of dollars into the energy sector. Uh, tell us about these investments. Right. So I spoke to the chairman of Transcorp, Tony Alamelu, who is in the process of closing a, a billion dollar oil block deal. And his power company is planning to invest $300 million to sort of refurbish a state-owned power plant. Abdul Samad Rabiu, he owns Bua Group, which is big in flour and milling, and he has announced plans to build a multi-billion dollar oil refinery that'll refine 200,000 barrels a day when it's completed, and that will compete against a mega refinery that's in the process of being built right outside Lagos by Aliko Dangote, who's Africa's richest man. 
So Neil, could you provide us with a little bit of context on why this homegrown investment is happening now? So if you think about where these guys are investing, they're investing in oil, in power, in a sense, in all of these sectors, they have a captive market. You know, I spoke to an analyst. His argument was basically that the only investors in Nigeria appear to be those who've received assurances in a way that their investments will be protected. So the power plants have power purchasing agreements that are signed with the government that guarantee that that power will be purchased, even though the Nigerian national grid is very decrepit and can't actually use all of the power that's currently being generated. The crude oil will be sold and it will be paid for in dollars. Other sectors of the economy aren't seeing those kinds of major investments because they don't have those sort of guarantees. Okay, so Neil, you you mentioned sectors outside oil. Can you elaborate on why they're not getting as much investment now? You know, agriculture is probably the most important sector in Nigeria, not just economically because it employs millions of Nigerians, but from a food security standpoint, it's incredibly important. Nigeria imports almost everything, including a lot of food products that it could grow locally. But one of the problems is that productivity is very low and processing and value addition are almost non-existent with some notable exceptions. The big challenge for agriculture, food processing, manufacturing is actually power. Nigeria is one of the least electrified countries in the world on a per capita basis. So despite big projects like the one Tony Alamello is going to invest in and other power generation projects, the Nigerian grid, which is run by the government, is so decrepit that it can only provide a fraction of the electricity that is actually produced, which is already not a very large amount for a country with 200 million people. So that means that businesses, farms, and food processors have to rely on diesel generation, which is incredibly expensive. And it ends up costing sort of, you know, 40% of production, which is astronomical compared to a lot of other countries. What do government critics say about the impact of these big ticket investments you're reporting on? Basically, what they're saying is that a few big ticket investments in sectors that have captive markets are not going to grow the economy. It's not enough to create jobs for millions of Nigerians who are out of work right now and the growing young population here. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Hi, this is Matt. And Sean. From Two Black Guys. With good credit. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. 
and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.